Hello? Hello, this is Fam Electric Ghost. Yeah, you've got all three members of Hot Lips here. Okay, let me just do a brief intro. Okay, uh, this is Fam Electric Ghost, and we interview indie artists around the world, and tonight we have Hot Lips. You're an electro-grunge trio from um, Canada, right? Toronto, Canada, yeah. Cool. So, um, so all three members, you have Carly, is it Forget or Forget? Forget. <laughs> Alec Black and Keith yep. Hepler. Yep. So, so Carly is on vocals and synth. Alex, mm -hmm. you're on bass and vocals. And Keith, you're on drums, right? Correct. Cool. So I've got your bio. I've got your Spotify in front of me. So we're going to go through and ask you all the questions. Um, so just ask how you guys doing in Canada. I'm in the U.S. in New Hampshire, and we're still kind of locked down. Are you guys still like in a lockdown or are you opened up? Yeah, no, we're pretty much locked down. Um, can't go to a bar, can't go see a band, can't go to a restaurant. Uh, probably the same same position you're in over there. Yeah, yeah, same thing. So I'll just get into it and we'll talk about, uh, have some questions that I derive based on the crisis at the end, <laughs> tail end of my questionnaire. But uh, when did you guys first get into music and each of you can kind of get into that? You know, what age? Yeah, Carly, Carly, go ahead. Um, I started really early when I was about 10. My uh, my whole family's into music. My parents were in a band together growing up, so I was always surrounded by it. And I uh, I first got into drums at, yeah, age 11, and I played drums for about 20 years and then tried my hand at singing. And, um, yeah, now here, here we are. So, um, so maybe just go to the next member of the band who wants to talk next. <laughs> yeah, that's Keith. Um, I started playing drums when I was 10 years old. Um, I had a cousin who played uh, professionally, kind of a musical family. So I was just, I don't know, I just was really enamored with the aesthetic of it. And then he showed me, um, I remember he showed me Scentless Apprentice by Nirvana. It's a drum hook that sounds like a guitar riff, and that was it. I was just hooked. So, who who are your favorite drummers? Just because you're a drummer. Um. Oh man. You know, uh, lately I've been really, really, really loving Leia Shapiro from Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. She like the way the way she plays and like how simple and to the point, like her really straight ahead style. I've I've been just enamored with that and like learning all their tunes during this lockdown. That's cool. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a keyboardist, but I was always inspired by Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Oh, of course. Keith Moon from The Who. Nice. And then Bonham and then a lot of jazz. Oh, I mean, Bonham, Bonham's yeah. just a gift. But right? a, lot of, a lot of jazz drummers, you know, drummers that would run with bands like Sun Ra, Miles, like Davis, Miles Davis, you know, Coltrane's drummer. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I've always been into, but that's cool. I usually don't get to talk to drummers that much. <laughs> oh, really? No. They let me out of the cage for this one. <laughs> we usually talk to lead vocalists and guitar players. And we hardly ever get to drummers, so it's cool. Uh, how about bass players? Here's, here's Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we got a, a couple bass players and the 30 people I've interviewed, but you're probably maybe like the third. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're the worst. Really? <laughs> yeah. So when, what's the same same question for you? When did you get into music? When did you start? What age? So, um, I actually started pretty young. My family was uh, a bunch of them were in the Soviet choir. So we uh, we immigrated to Canada, like my brother. 
Um, and my family's always sort of been into music. My brother bought a terrible bass guitar and then he just never played it. And then I started playing when I was around eight or nine and then stopped for a really long time and got back into music uh, later on, like in my early, early 20s, because uh, I just wanted to start playing violin. Um, so I started there again, but the thing is, the kind of music I wanted to play didn't lend itself well to a violin, so I just <laughs> went back on bass. Yeah, uh, and I had also played clarinet and bass clarinet back in uh, back in school days too. That's awesome. I started on clarinet, but then I realized I can't really be a singer songwriter on a clarinet, so I <laughs> switched switched the synths. <laughs> it's hard unless you know how to rock out on Peter and the Wolf. Yeah, it doesn't really work. <laughs> but um. So I, I, I talked to a lot of bass players and sometimes they were guitar players and then there were maybe too many guitar players in the band and they're kind of told somebody has to pick up the bass because there's already somebody playing guitar. But did you want to do the bass instead of doing like guitar rhythm or lead? You, you oh, know, yeah. The, the bass, bass. bass is that for me, the bass makes makes the most sense because it's the perfect marriage between a guitar and drums. Mm-hmm. So, so I get to be active on sort of both sides of, of you're music. You're into the rhythm section. You're like, you know, you, you want to be at that part of the song. You're, you're, you're diving into that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a cool thing. Because, I mean, being a keyboard player, I have to try to emulate. I'm a synthesis, so I try to emulate everything. So I try to, you know, I use my Moog to try to be as bass heavy as anybody. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate bass players because I, I'm always listening to you guys <laughs> to try to get my mode to match what you do on your real basses. <laughs> but um, so that's interesting. I started off with all three of you and uh, go down to the next question. Um, well, we have been talking about like, so you started at like a young age, all of you. But when did you start working on music that you know, became this band? When did, did you guys start immediately going into bands and writing your own music? So the way the band got started is, um, so so Carly, uh, Carly and I had met without really realizing it, just like around Toronto because we're both drummers. Um, but Carly posted a, a demo on it was like Craigslist or Kijiji, <laughs> and the band the band that I was in at the time I kind of knew was kind of falling apart. Um, so she sent me a demo when we met up at a bar and kind of hit it off. And then I knew Alex from the, the band I mentioned before. He sort of tour managed and uh, guitar teched on a, the last tour or one of the last tours that we did. And Alex and I really hit it off. So when the time came to sort of put the lineup together, we decided we really wanted to do something different. Like, you know, not just be another four four piece guitar, bass, drums, blues rock band. Mm-hmm. And I knew Alex had like a lot of the same influences and um, it was sort of a different way of approaching the instrument. So uh, we, I think we maybe tried two people out before him, but it was one of those things when he, when he showed up and we all like jammed together the first time, we kind of knew like this, this was it, this was the lineup. And it's just, it's, it's the all original lineup four years later. We haven't replaced anyone. Uh, same. How did you guys decide who was going to do the drums? Since you have two drummers. <laughs> oh. Well, Carly, Carly, Carly actively wanted to sort of step out from playing the drums and like be the front person. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's been really cool because she'll, she's the primary songwriter in the band. So she'll hand off demos and she'll have like, you know, some songs, there'll be a, a fully formed drum part and she'll ask me to sort of stick to the script. 
or she'll sort of give me something loose and let me like, you know, just kind of let me go nuts. So it's been really cool because drummers, we never kind of like a goalie in like a hockey team oh, yeah. or an ice hockey team. Yeah, you never <laughs> play with anyone, right? Yeah. Like no one, you're sort of always the one, the one guy or girl in the band, you know, some bands have like two guitar players. So it's been really cool that way. Yeah. That's interesting because, um, I was watching a documentary on Pete Townsend and uh, who's next. And he would do like fully formed demos with the drums and the bass lines and everything, and then give them to the band. And then Antwistle would reinterpret his bass lines and Moon would just take his very basic drum lines and turn them into like what Moon does. But um, or he... I mean, not, not, not to take away what she what she she gives us in the demos, but like it's more or less, you know, the the the, the melodic the, the part, me, the melodies there, you know, the hooks are there, and then we just kind of infuse our own influences on top. Of it. But like I said, yeah, yeah, there's been a handful of times where it's just like stick to the script, and that's cool too. But I want them to put their spin on it, too, because I'm not a bass player. Mm -hmm. And even though I played drums for a long time, like Keith's style is just yep. completely different. And I want I want the song, obviously, to be hot lips. So, like, yeah. matter. Well, that's the whole thing about being <laughs> in a band. Like, if you're a solo actor, you can run, like, everything. You could, you could just, like, write everything. But when you get into the band, the, the nature of the band is, like, you know, every classic band, the individual members bring their 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 their, their capability you know you know exactly. if you talk about the who i mean they were all individuals they all were kind of like they were like the first punk band that was a rock band and everybody, a lot of everybody was playing their own thing but somehow moon kind of kept it together even though he was <laughs> falling apart <laughs> um, yeah it was just this kind of strange cacophony of like a jazz fusion band that's a rock and roll band and a punk band and a progressive band at the same time. I've always been into that, um, like a punk aesthetic going back to the, the who and the clash and the sex pistols and Ramones, all that. But, um, yeah, percent, man. But what you guys are doing, it's interesting. Can you call yourselves? I was reading, um, like electro grunge and I've always been a big proponent of the punk aesthetic. You know, I grew up with SST, you know, who's could do black flag bands like that, you know, having that kind of, you know what they used to call college radio which before like alternative that's that's what it was <laughs> um uh, so you guys are kind of in that in that still in that phase because we're in an age where like grunge you know maybe electro grunge is new um but you know a lot of people that's are into like hip-hop and stuff but you guys are still kind of doing it a more traditional type of rock well that's really nice of you to say and to lump us in with those bands is incredible um I think electro grunge is just something we kind of coined ourselves. Well, we somebody had a report. Remember, we, it was a magazine article. We actually. Oh yes, yeah. someone. Sorry, yeah. someone coined it for us in, in some press we did a couple of years ago. But I mean, even though the three of us kind of come from different background musical backgrounds, we're all really heavily influenced by like '90s bands. '90s. You know. Yeah. Um, like were you and, like, like were you inspired by like the grunge bands like Nirvana and you know one hundred percent Pilots Pearl Jam you know those like you know Alice in Chains totally yeah yeah one that's that's sort of the the one common musical thread that um, unites us is that we all really have a huge affinity for you know you know it's like quiet chorus quiet verse big chorus. But you guys you know, have a Bailey Corgan thing going on too, because you got that grunge, 
but you're bringing in that kind of synth stuff that Billy did. Like Billy Corgan you know, like, was big in, in the middle of the grunge era. He has these big like progressive rock opera albums that are are not exactly grunge. They're more like like Yes or Genesis. But you guys kind of got that kind of new romantic edge that you would hear like in a band like like New Order. Or, or, or Depeche Mode, you're kind of in, in influencing that with the grunge, which is probably why you got this electro grunge tag. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of in the middle of the two because even though we are very 90s, we don't have a guitar player and we wanted to keep it that way, but we wanted to keep it full, which is where the synth came in. And originally when we started this band, I wasn't playing any synth. And I think part of it was I was awkward <laughs> without something in front of me. <laughs> I was used to the drum kit. So you had you you were your musician. You wanted to have a, an instrument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it just really formed. You know, it took a little while, but the sound really formed. So I'm gonna dive into your synth because I'm a synthesis. So and I'm and I'm kind of an old school synthesis. I've got nothing but like, you know, modes and. And profits and Rollins like D fifties. Yeah. So, what kind of synths do you use? Are you using like like uh, modern synths that use plugins? Or are you using hardware synths? So I'm using. Um, I have two Korgs that I'm using right now. One's a Micro XL Korg, and one's a uh, a newer Korg Kitar, the RS one hundred. And I'll be honest with you, like our live show is really about energy and power and I don't have time to be messing around on an analog synth. So I really like to stick to something that I can play with that's easy, that has really cool uh, plugins that I can modulate on the spot without too much thought. So I I really like to stick with um, a little bit more of the basic smaller synths that are Part part showpiece and part actually part of the the music. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 as a synthesis, I've kind of got both. I've got digital synths, and I've got my modes just because I like the history of those machines. But you know, it's a different mm-hmm. type of thing. I mean, if you're a modular progressive synthesis, you're kind of trying to be like Keith Emerson, or you're trying to be like you know ELO. You're trying to get into that. It's a totally different thing. Then you, you oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can have a Juno with pads. They're already in there. You know, like Rollins. I have a lot of Rollins because they have that. But then the modes, exactly. the modes are good for leads. Like, like it's, if you have really good lead lines and stuff. Not that these other sense can't, but there's something about those sounds coming off of profits and modes. Totally different. But, uh, since you're a synthesis, I was going to ask where you're going. But Korg can, you know, Korg can do a lot, just like the Rollins or the Yamaha DX7s. You know, those type of synths that have pads or preset patches. People, famous bands use tons of those. Oh, they do, and they really like they really pop live, especially the newer Korgs. Um, and I mean, the anal- you can't compare with an analog synth when you know what you're doing. But again, for us, the one of the main components of our show is the high energy, mm-hmm. non-stop action. And I can't use an analog synth if we're well, going to do how that. How is the guitar? Do you like the guitar for the performance aspects of it because it lets you be like a guitar player and get and move around? compared to yeah exactly yeah we we kind of found that with the like stationary synth that i was kind of getting stuck behind it because i was doing a lot of melodic progressions through the songs and we i wanted to find a way for me to get out and still add to the sound so we tried the guitar and um it, it has some really like deep sounds and it, it works yeah yeah roland just put one of their big guitars back out and i've been kind of leaning toward it 
but I've kind of I've always been in that Keith Emerson kind of mode is that sometimes, you know, or yes mode <laughs> having the big stack is it, kind of like a show in itself. It's a different type of show, but <laughs> exactly. But, but um, it's cool that you guys are into that and you're, you're into that kind of performance aspects and, and the grunge aspect is kind of like that punk aesthetic. So I always ask bands like when you when you talk about grunge or like a punk thing or a new wave thing, it's the high energy um kind of dynamic do you feel that it's like it feels more honest than if you were a band just running like uh like a lot of bands just running sequencers and cdjs the fact that you guys really they play your instruments in front of people do you find audiences are your audiences are into that or do they want to hear songs as they were exactly on that record do you like the dynamicism well, of being able to play live you know compared to like a cdj like dj yeah, we're we're a full on live bands and um I, I particularly like myself, I come from like like you're talking about the SST bands yeah, yeah. and stuff and um especially like like Black Flag and Fugazi. I was really heavily influenced by their aesthetic, um their music and like their their work ethic and the the whole DIY philosophy. But in terms of like we're one hundred percent a live band. Um we, we don't shy away from using backing tracks. We're not a, a really backing track heavy band, but because we're a trio and we really want the sound to come across as it is, like you said, on record, um, we, we, we do we do run some tracks, but we're like, we're not going to, we're, we're proud of them, like that we program the tracks ourselves. Yeah, we, we compose everything and, and like spend time actually writing. It's almost writing a separate song to go together with the song. Yeah, yeah. So do you guys use like Ableton Live or Mainstage? How do you run those backing tracks when you do a live show? Uh, so we actually, what we'll do is we'll record it on Logic. Okay. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Logic primarily because I've been stuck using that because I've been sucked into the uh, Apple world. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, uh, but there's a lot of, especially with Logic's... Uh, recently logic x and alchemy you have so many synthesizers just at your fingers mm-hmm. um but in terms of in terms of actually doing it live so we'll we'll program into pads so we program samples into pads as well as uh like using rolling pads mm-hmm. and uh and just like kind of combining the two but it, it's for me it's it's such an interesting process because the bands I like really grew up listening to. I mean, primarily one of my favorite ones was was a lot of like this kind of dual composition with Nine Inch Nails, um, as well as Muse, uh, where you kind of it almost sounds like three songs in one, and you need to streamline it. And it's all it all sounds very like classically oriented to me, similar to to like growing up on like I came from more like Keith's more like punk. I came from more uh, metal, like playing in metal bands. Mm-hmm. So. There's a lot of there's a lot of elements that need to kind of come together in order for it to work. It's not as simple as like finding three chords and oh, then yeah yeah and yeah yeah. It's like you know when you talk to or something like you, I was I watched a documentary on the Sex Pistols, and you know there was like a, a thing going on between the members where one of the original guitar players was always trying to bring Beatle chords in, and then the <laughs> other member was like, well, I don't need those stinking Beatle chords. I want to be punk, you know. So I, it didn't yeah. he didn't want the color. Of, 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 the, of the more complicated chords he just wanted it to be raw power kind of like you know yeah like Iggy pop and the stooges versus you know versus like you know like a heavy like a ramones or something or yeah you know, they, they like who's to do you know, a little more yeah, <laughs> we try to blend the two like we we are all big fans of that 
that and like you know all the things about tracks like for the first two and a half years we were a band it was 100 percent live like we we the tracks have only been something that's come in to um lately since we've started to do a little bit more high profile stuff and the honest to god truth is we talked about adding another member do that, run that. Um, yeah but like we just the dynamic of the three of us is is something we really don't want to mess with and Speaking for myself, I've always been a huge fan of trios. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's something you know what I mean? about the trio. I think if you get too many members, then you start getting, unless you run it like Funkadelic or like the Dead or run it like, you know, like the, like, the, like the Mothers of Invention, then if you're going to go toward like a Funkadelic Mothers of Invention, you know, Frank Zappa, then you can be really cool. But if you kind of end up being in a situation where you get locked in to the three-minute single, and you're running all these things to try to lock yourself in, then then you end up being like the Eagles on Hotel California running the same thing over and over. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. which I've always found can be kind of mind-numbing. But um Yeah, yeah, 100%. Which, you know, it's cool, and everybody loves the Eagles, but, they, you know, they're not the dead. They're not Funkadelic. They're not the mothers. There's a difference when you see bands, or even like the Allman Brothers. If being able to have a bigger band, if you have the freedom – they kind of have that aesthetic where you can you can feel like you know you're giving people a different show every night even though they're the same songs you can alter them mm -hmm. i think that's what's cool and I, you know i'm a technologist myself i have all these things but i run a lot of sequencers i run a lot of analog sequencers which give me live feel but make my show different over time because they kind of go wherever they're going to go and um i then i have structure but my structure can be all over the place and I kind of like that because then I can, I can kind of let things kind of go off. If I run my LFO through my sequencer, or I run a sample in a hole through my sequencer, then suddenly I can have something that has a beat, but it can change, and then I'm not locked in. I, I, I can give mm -hmm. somebody a, a, a consistent sound, but it, I can go off where I want to go, which is kind of cool. You know, so have you guys found ways to like, you know, I guess you, do you run the clips that you launch off your pads, or you run whole song structures? Uh, it's a mix, so we'll 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 do we'll, we will do a mix. Um, it's it's all song dependent, like yeah. whatever serves the song the best. And the the I mean the goal, like our live show, we want to keep it high energy, we want to keep it raw, we want to keep it pure. But like we also really want to translate the songs that Carly writes and the songs that people like respond mm -hmm. to. So I mean, what whatever it takes to make the song the song stand yeah, out, some we'll, songs we'll do. Are probably more like dependent on a structure that might be hard to replicate if you got so many layers you know yeah and there's certain and on the recordings there's certain tones there's certain you know there's like you know certain snare drum sounds and stuff that like if, if you if you if you had an affinity for the recorded version you came saw us live and that was absent it would it would take away from it i mean, I mean like at the end of the day no matter what genre of of music you play it it's 100 percent about the song and you know the listener's emotional reaction to it so whatever we have to yeah, do the song out that happens. yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna compromise so if we have to make it a little more track heavy mm -hmm. we're not gonna hide behind it like you know we're not gonna pretend like we don't have tracks but the vocals are all live the drums are all live the bass is live yeah. and we could do a set without them we just choose not to because yeah. we really want to see. Yeah, I think the audience today, I mean, a lot of audiences today want to see, you know, they want to hear what they heard on the radio or what they heard on social media. Um, 
there's a certain expectation yeah, yeah. in the yeah. in the sort of the modern yeah yeah compared to the audience what, like, i'm in my 50s yeah. right so i go to a show i kind of wanted to hear you know who's going to kind of go off and to hear exactly the yeah way it was you know what i mean but but yeah i i can understand it my my daughter is kind of in that generation where she wants to hear it what she heard you know and so okay it was like okay that's cool but yeah, <laughs> I grew up going to see the Allman Brothers like ten times. You know, <laughs> and, and seeing yeah, 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 different every night, or seeing Funkadelic play different every night. That was kind of like the thing. But yeah, and I, like, I, I, I came like I grew up watching bands in like people's basements or like you know community centers and stuff, where it wasn't always so much about how it sounded, yeah, but too. like the energy behind it. Was the whole, yeah, and I, I, like we wanted to, we wanted to sort of. Take the best from yeah, both worlds. Like, you, know, you know, try to make it sound as good as it can, but still keep that purity and like energy. Yeah, what you I know? found is like just just to get, dive into it. I use like a Zoom R twenty four digital recorder, and then I can have all my tracks as I mastered them, and then I mute and unmute because I'm like a one person band. So instead of using like that, I use the R twenty four and it's on an SD card, so I can do the song exactly as I recorded it. And just follow that and just unmute the bass line or unmute the drums and just play that live. And so I can give somebody that same performance, but then I don't have to be dependent on a computer, which I found is yeah. more stable for me than my, than my computer. There's no, there's no computer. No, we, that's, that's too much hassle for us. Yeah. <laughs> there's no Ableton oh, or computers. Yeah. Or, uh... I found that, that you know, I kind of run it like the way the Who used to run Bob O'Reilly. And won't go fool again. They ran it off of like a big Tascam tape loop, tape like analog tape machine, yep. and they had to play to the tape. And so, if you run with a like a like a Zoom, that you can kind of do the same thing. It doesn't. We actually we use an R twenty four for some of yeah, our demos. I, yeah, I like it's using kind of fun. that more than I like using DAWs because I can just do whatever I want. <laughs> but um. That's my old thing. So then I'll get into your, your the genres that you're doing is like a cross genre and you're labeled, you know, you, you got reviewed as being this, uh, you know, grunge, electro grunge band. But if we were, somebody was going to ask you what other genres you fit in, what would you say? The three, the thing that makes up our sound is the three of us each come some sort of three different worlds. So I'll sort of pass you, pass you around the room. And everyone can sort of explain that. So here's Carly. Um, well, I think, I mean, my background is heavy rock, but I also have a huge passion for um, like trip hop. And um, I think that's lend us to certain artists that we've played with. Um, like we open for... Econoline Crush, who isn't super trip hop, but they were kind of in that 90s grunge era along with like sneaker pimps and that whole run. And um, Keith? Um, so I come from, like I mentioned before, I came from more of like, uh, played in a lot of bands that were either very grunge oriented or more in the vein of like Black Flag Fugazi. And like I said, sort of before, like not only the music and the aesthetic really influenced me, but their DIY ethic, like that whole, just like, fuck it, do it yourself. Like if you can't get booked, then rent, rent yeah. a fucking, you know, a YMCA, you know, like, let's go, let's make this happen. And um, I've tried to, I've used that philosophy in this band quite a bit and it's, it's been really good. 
And Alex? Uh, I, I grew up on a lot of uh, metal and industrial. So I, I, for me, a lot of metal, I kind of stemmed over. So I was a big fan of The Who as well. So a lot of like prog metal. Who? The Who, yeah. Oh. Uh, so like uh, Mastodon, Opeth, I was, I was really, really big into. Um, Opeth, you could go see them for a 45-minute set and listen to two songs. <laughs> it's great. Uh, see Black Flag, you could see yeah, 90 songs. 90 songs. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, and, and again, it's like it kind of stems from from a lot of like classical music. But like for me as well, listening to a lot of uh, like even like stuff like you know Nine Inch Nails, obviously the one everyone like talks about with industrial. But like listening to like Cam FDM, uh, Ministry, growing up a lot of that, even The Cure, a lot of stuff from the eighties, Depeche Mode, who I think are, don't get enough credit Joy for Division a lot of it. One hundred. Joy Division, I absolutely love. And New Order, you know, that is yeah, is basically yeah. Joy Division minus one. That, yeah. song, dis- that song Disorder by well, Joy Division. Disorder is totally right yeah, I- my world. I mean, I, mean, I got... I, oh, I my totally, oh, my God. Man. I'm driven by Seven. that song. Like, how I write is because of that song. The way I write my music, that whole yeah. album, you know. Uh, you know, that, that album to me was like, that was like the post-punk beginning of the new wave. Um, and before even the Cure yep. or Depeche Mode, they had this sound. It was kind of like a be- electro punk Velvet Underground, you know. That they, they were kind of bringing bringing this kind of dark dystopian thing that Reed was doing, but they did it in a different way. And I'm like, wow! I just it blew my mind all the time. <laughs> and bands like the the Velvet Underground and Joy Division, like they really kind of like musically inspired us, but also like the vision, like we're all huge fans of bands that don't sound like anyone else. And when people come up to us after a, a gig and say like, Oh, I'm like, I really dig your band. You guys, I don't even know who you sound like. That's like the highest compliment. I think that we can receive well, yeah. as a band, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. And because like, like I, like we were saying, we didn't want to be another, you know, four piece blues based rock guitar band. Not well, there's anything wrong out. with it. I mean, that's not but where, like, where things are. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. But like, I remember like hearing bands like Queens of the Stone Age, like the songs for the deaf. And I'm like, this oh, doesn't yeah. sound like anything. Yeah. That like, is a huge influence of ours. Or yeah. bands like, even like, not that we sound anything like, but a band like Primus, you know, hearing them on like a Tony like Hawk Rob Pro Rob Skater N64. You know, I, I like bands that really push Kyle. Yeah. yeah so bands that really push like you know push the genre forward um i don't know if we're doing that but we're we're well, at very at least trying we don't want to call bringing it you know the kind of new romantic thing with 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 this kind of gothic grunge thing that i i feel i hear it and i hear pieces of berlin i hear you know I, I hear, oh, I hear, yeah. I hear like a vibe that, that, that you know pulls me into like Joy Division. I hear it, you know, except with a female singer, and then you're doing some things that I've heard, you know, some of my favorite, you know, bands from that age, you know, we're, we're doing. So like Blondie, I think there's little, some elements of Blondie in what you're doing. Um, oh, man, that's, that yeah. so, that's, yeah. that's so kind of you. I fucking love but that. that's kind of going back to your question where if you look at our roster of who we've played with, it's just across the board. Like one of our best shows was opening for yeah. Swollen Members. And that was great. It was so great. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're Canadian, they're your, Canadian your, your, West Coast. Your ability that you can work with these supporting slots for Rob Zombie, 
and Michelle Graves and Amanda Wells and Misfits and 3T. They, they showed that you're not getting pigeonholed, which is, I think, exactly. is, is a really good thing exactly. in this industry because once you get pigeonholed, oh, they're just a bunch of punks or they're they're Riot Girl or they're they're trip hop or anything, then you get stuck because then the people don't want to put you into different venues because you know that's a this that's an EDM only venue or this side trans venue. And I think that's one of the big cardinal sins in some of the, this age is people getting pigeonholed and being told they can only be in this venue or only be with this tour only on this festival. You want to be kind of open to get yourself into anything. You know, it's been it, in in some respects, it's been our greatest strength and our greatest weakness because, especially starting out, promoters never really yeah, knew no where to put us. <laughs> you know, so like we would we'd be on shows with like metal bands. Punk bands and then like a pop, like pop bands. Yeah, it's pop, like, pop bands, like, and we were oh, always <laughs> like the pop band. Though, Did that like, really work? Uh, yeah, yeah. This crowd is. But, not gonna like it. Not gonna <laughs> but we always, but we always took it in stride because, like, I think stand, like I think standing out in this industry is maybe the ultimate goal. And, and having your own style and like if i i, I kind of took it as a badge of honor yeah. when we didn't yeah. fit in because like yeah goddamn right we don't fit in because we're, yeah, we're our own I mean, fucking thing when you know? i started touring in new york i kept on you know i'm an african-american musician so what did they do my agent go put me in it with like a bunch of hardcore hip-hop rappers and i'm i'm like more like genesis and i'm a progressive rock type of guy and they put me in yeah. there and like that's this is not really my crowd, but I was able to still get them into it because then a lot of them were like, "Oh, what are you doing with these synths?" And then they wanted me to like do backing tracks and do stuff on their projects. So it ended up being something where I didn't think it was going to work. But then after I got all these business cards, and then I was end up doing all these backing tracks for all these guys that wanted to have my Moog sounds and my synth sounds on their records, and they didn't want to have to have a sample pay for the sample. He said, well, this guy can actually do it. So it, you never know. Because you go in a place where I, that's not going to work, and then you end up having a new opportunity. <laughs> we've, we've kind of fallen into the same boat being a, a female-fronted band, where we've gotten paired with other bands who, who are great. Like, they're, they're, they're dope bands on their own. But it's like, it's like you can tell that the show, we were paired together just because – so there's it was like there's a, 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 a you know a woman fronting the band, and those, those shows have always been interesting. But just like just like you said, um, yeah, we've always seemed to to rise rise above it, <laughs> rise above. Yeah, like I think, anything on SST, <laughs> I would listen. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, yo, come on! Have you seen Have you seen um Have you seen Flag at oh, all I with mean, uh, Keith you. Morris I've and Bill Stevenson? Oh man, just YouTube it. It's really good. Chuck Dukowski playing bass. Um, I think they got one of the guys from Bad Religion oh filling in for uh, Greg Ginn, but it's it's really good. And their, their logo is just the four That's bars, awesome. but like straight across. Awesome. It's pretty funny. So <laughs> when you guys write, um, do you guys write as a? Well, I just you guys kind of indicated that you know, your your lead singer brings the demo, right? Do you, and then you kind of work it together all at once, like in the studio, or do you kind of work on it separately and then go into the studio how do you guys work like how do you put your stuff together so typically 
Like typically how we we've done it is I'll compose the song at home on my, on my 16 zoom recorded track. It's literally a plug and play. And um, like I said, I'm a drummer. So I'll lay down some drums. I'll, I'll do some basic bass synth and vocals and I'll send it to them. Sometimes it's a full song. Sometimes it's like half a song. And then we just kind of go with that and we'll, you know, restructure it. We'll add stuff. Sometimes it's, relatively similar sometimes it's really different um yeah that's kind of just the process that we were going with and it's been working they work it out in band practice and then go to the studio or do you work it out in the studio yeah i mean every song we work it out and there's you know there's lots of songs that just kind of don't even really make it we'll do it maybe once or twice live and we just doesn't fit with the set or whatever reason mm-hmm. you know you have to go through those types of songs and eventually we'll settle on a song that yeah this is going to be on the next ep or like this is definitely the next single or you know it just kind of comes as it does and we yeah we work we work on it mostly together and we only go into the studio oh, so when it's something really that's really solid guys. i was watching like a documentary on pink floyd and i guess like for dark side of the moon they they, they worked out all the songs live they were touring and then they worked everything out and then they went to That's- the studio and they just, they did some changes with experimentation with synths and backward tape loops and like field recordings. But most of the songs were all totally been rehearsed. And, they, and so that's how you, you guys kind of do it like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah we, we work quite a bit too. Like we'll, we'll, from show to show, the song starts evolving, and when we feel it's ready, we'll. So, do you we'll guys like to, to use the studio like like another instrument? Do you like to like bring in field recordings or backward tape loops or all kinds of production techniques, or do you kind of stick with what you originally recorded? We, maybe just add overdubs. We've been really fortunate in terms of our studio work. We've worked with a, a small team of like really talented producers, engineers, and mixers, because um, there's certain areas of expertise, like as I'm sure you're, you know, in this, in this business. So we're not going to go into a studio and, you know, when we pick someone to produce or mix or engineer a session with us, we're putting a lot of trust in them. And it's almost in a way like they become an auxiliary member of the band for, for that, for that project, you know, um, We've been trying to do things a little bit differently in terms of the way we record and release things. And I got to give credit to Alex because he really brought it to our attention about like how hip hop artists are doing it. And like a lot of them are just releasing singles. And I feel like a band that's in its infancy, meaning a band that's been together for like less than five years, um, rather than, you know, putting all of our resources and finances into like an EP, we've always sort of subscribed to the idea where like, we'll write a block of songs together and we'll go record one or two. And then six months down the road, we'll, we'll do it again. Um, and just sort of release them as singles um, rather than full EPs or full lengths because people's attention spans in the era of, of streaming and downloading is so small. And we're such a young band that we, we'd really just rather offer one or two of our best then, then, you know, put everything into five or seven songs a year for it to be sort of lost yeah. in the algorithm, of the streaming services, and, and just all of the really great music that's coming out. I mean, there's so much good music being put out every day that's inspiring and intimidating. 
that, you know, we figure just one at a time, you know, until the audience is built. And, and um, it's been working out pretty well for us. I've talked to, I've been going kind of back and forth. There's a bunch of bands that I talked to in the last interview that were kind of, were doing what you're doing. And then they decided they want to go back into the album format because they like concepts. So they were going back to building albums that had themes. But then I've been well, I've and, myself the last I, two years just doing nothing but singles. And I've done concept albums and stuff. And I love the album format because I'm in my 50s and that's what I grew up with. So it's kind of been kind of, I think if I, I, I question most of the people I've talked to, it's got to go on 50-50 both ways. Yeah, it's um, it's tough. There's sort of a logistical aspect to it as a as a working new band, where I I feel like you can get as much reach from promoting a single properly as you can an EP. Oh yeah, I mean it's a lot more. Um, it's far less cost. Singles out. Yeah, well, and then you know a lot of the companies I've actually worked with, they're more they're more into pushing singles. I just signed with a Swedish label, and they were just looking for like. For 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 oh, like gosh, three songs, awesome. um, like three se- separate singles, um, it was not even an album; it was just three separate singles, and like they're gonna do a video, or whatever. But that you know, and the contract they had before was like do a single like every two weeks because <laughs> they were just trying to throw it at the wall. Um, so th- th- yeah, a lot of companies that they're kind of pushing, I think it was- like, you know, kind of streaming. It's kind of like you know, like the fifties. Everybody's just putting out a single. <laughs> Yeah, and as as musicians, like the you know the the three of us and you, the four of us talking. I mean, we're all really into the idea of concepts and albums and how the track listing goes and what the recurring oh, theme yeah. is. But I think your average passive listener, well, who you reach a much broader the audience way you of, get listened to is you got to get put put on a playlist that has the yeah exactly, and they're not putting albums on those playlists most of, most of the time. They're putting singles, and so in order for you to get you know, I've talked to my manager. Exactly. They, oh, that's how you make the money. It's like, well, I understand that. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I'm I'm a big progressive guy, so I'll put out, you know, a concept album and put, throw it on Bandcamp or something just because I want to do it. And it's just because I, I, I write all the time, so I just did it. And then at the same time, I'll put singles out to Spotify because exactly. that's why I know it's going to work, you know, and then try to push it to playlists and stuff. So, I mean, it's different things. And then, you know, you work on, like, sync licensing because I'm a keyboardist and synthesis, so I can do background for TV commercials and stuff like that. So you you can do, like, all different types of things and kind of throw well, everything at the wall. And in, in, in reality, like, I, I make more money doing sync licensing than I do as the ghost. But But, you know, I want my ghost stuff to do good, but I do better doing the other stuff. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. Whatever you got to do. I'm okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so, um, nice. When you guys, um, you've been touring, and, and now I'm going to ask some of the questions about like the way things are going on right now. Most most musicians, because of streaming, they really don't make money from their records. They make money from merchandising, from doing shows, and telling you know selling T-shirts and posters, and you know sync licensing. So in this this kind of climate, have you guys figured some new ways out to get your music out and actually still, you know, make money? Or, or what, what you guys are kind of in a holding pattern until you can tour? What, what's going on? 
we're well we're in the same position that every band is in right now so we're in very good company um in terms of like a loss of revenue like most bands uh a lot of our money comes from being on the road um but the three of us grew up in an era like i started playing in bands the year napster launched to give you context so i i yeah, I grew up watching uh, in, in Canada, our version of MTV is called Much Music. So I'd watch Much Music and I'd see bands succeeding in what sort of like the old model, like the pre-Napster, the pre-file sharing model. So the year we kind of all collectively started playing in bands, everything has been changing every single, almost month to month, if like at very least year to year. So I think any modern musician has to kind of constantly pivot and adapt to whatever's going on. And this is just the next obstacle. I mean, it's not going to be forever that we can't tour, that we can't play. Right now we're working with our, our manager and our agent on securing some makeup dates for the tour that we lost um, for very late in the year in early 2021 with our fingers crossed. But I think the energy spent on worrying and complaining about the, the obstacles that are in your way could be better spent just working on y- your band and your music and, and just doing what we've always done and pivoting and adapting to the, the constantly yeah, changing so, I mean, climate. One of the industry. things I noticed, like, like a lot of bands I talked to was like, well, you know what? I'm a bass player. I want to learn guitar. I'm a guitar player. I want to learn bass or I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, well, no in Norway, uh, and she was like going to school for you know to, to learn how to be her own engineer, which you know that's fraught with risk, but just because you can't get into the studio, right? So, some people are taking the time and say, Okay, well, maybe I can learn as much about engineering to try to do better demos, you know. So I can get my thoughts out, my ideas out in a cleaner way. So I've seen a lot of people, you know, go positive and try new things, you know, join online collectives and find ways to do online shows. I mean, that's one thing. I I just found an online collective out out of London that was looking for people to do, you know, online shows and actually pay them. And, um, you know, there are opportunities like that if you're willing to, change what you do and buy the equipment to kind of live stream from your own garage and stuff there are ways to actually be successful at kind of like a youtuber but there, there are different ways to do that you know bands might have yeah, to start thinking you, about a youtube like model if we end up having you know more trouble than not Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right now. It's just sort of a like what I mean. You could just sit and wait, but we're getting ready to release a, a new single with a video, and we've been cool. doing some socially distant recording, in the sense that like I'll go in and lay down the drums. Like this, the the practice space is all mic'd up like a studio. Alex will go in the next day, so like we we've been trying our best to adapt, and I don't want to. None of us. I don't none of us want to sit around and even tonight um, as we're here together, like the three of us, we're sort of planning on some alternative shows, like outside of the, the typical, like doing it in a, you know, having a promoter book a club. 
we don't want to sit around and wait for this to, Oh yeah. You know, we want to make sure that we're in control of our own destiny and um, our band has always really advocated having a plan A, B, and C. So if plan A doesn't work, we just, we have an immediate backup plan. And if plan B doesn't work, we go to plan C. <laughs> well, there are plan C doesn't work, we'll just have cocktails. Festivals. I don't know how they, you can control that. But, um, but you know, <laughs> I've seen, I seen some people trying to do it. Um, There's in Europe, and I'm like, okay, maybe that works, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, people are going to figure out different ways of doing things, you know, smaller shows. But I mean, a lot of problems with that are like the same problem with a restaurant. There's certain level of capacity for the promoter and for the band that's necessary to even make it worthwhile. And so, Well, you've got to think outside yeah. the box and maybe like <laughs> That's uh, eliminate a good idea. the promoter. <laughs> maybe the band needs to take everything. In. You know, like, you you know, you're talking about SST. Like if there's, if some venues close, yeah, well, maybe rent, school and do it in a high school gym. you know, maybe rent like a veteran's <laughs> hall, like put on your own. Like... Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Oh, like, yeah. and I think that true music fans who want to see a live band, even if the social distancing applications are enforced, oh, yeah. they'll, they'll do I it. Think, you know, I've got, I've got nothing TV but faith in the true popping up for everyone that fails and goes away. They're gonna be, you know, they're gonna be brand new ones of people kind of think it out the box. Yeah, you get it. To, to do that. Yeah, and that's exactly it. We've never, we're not gonna let anyone tell us what we have to do or how we have to do it. And if we have to adapt and we have to put on our own shows well, and rent our own spaces and book like our own bands, bands, then we're gonna fucking do that because we're gonna create that whole thing with Cam Flogna that was like created by them. You know, and they, they, you know, problem with hip hop bands is people wouldn't book them because they said yeah. a bunch of gangbangers are going to blow up the neighborhood, and so we couldn't get booked. Right, a lot of bands that end up getting slammed, they couldn't get any place, and it's kind of cool when when our future collective. Yeah, yeah the it's about saying it's like yeah, we're the ones you're going to worry about with your neighborhood. So to create, you know, for Tyler to create that, he kind of created like his own venue by creating that that festival. And it became a good way to actually showcase bands that sometimes might not be able to get anywhere. Because um, they actually really tried to tour to get a lot of resistance from certain places. So to actually be able to get one big stadium and do a festival, that was like a, a cool idea. I think I think collective, like band collectives that pull together, that, that might be a, a way of doing it outside promoters, you know, individual bands linking up. Yeah, man, one hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, you run it. Like, keep all the know, money that way too. Like you said, go <laughs> side, like old school, do yeah. old school stuff. Get a gymnasium, <laughs> do it at that YW, YMCA. <laughs> or, or like, yeah, don't pay anybody to show. Or you can be a lot like SST and just not pay anyone. <laughs> um, so, so you guys, you're thinking about the future of music. Um, and we've been talking about streaming services. That's how we're out here. That's why I'm, you know, I'm doing this because we're part of Spotify. But um, what is your opinion of like the streaming services, you know, pro and con? You know, it, I think it's like how we get out here and how people find us. But you know, what are the pros and cons to you about it? I think the, I think the pros are. I mean. <laughs> 
I'll be honest with you. The pros are very superficial. Um, as soon as someone new sees you and they see your numbers are high, you're kind of in, but that doesn't happen with every streaming service. I mean, there are only a few that are super, you know, like really relevant at the moment and you got to have those numbers. So it's good when you pull those numbers in, but as an artist, an indie artist, if you don't have those numbers, it doesn't always reflect what you're doing in the industry. It really reflects kind of your, you know, your inside pull to be completely honest. And the model, like since the inception of the, the modern music industry, the only way the industry, and this is, this is an opinion. This is widely documented is the artist <laughs> is sort of always the last to get paid. Um, Spotify, your streaming services are really no different, but it is great that you can sort of reach such a wide audience with like the absence of like a distribution deal, you know, which you'd have to have before it. Um, there's a lot of oversaturation, but I feel like the internet has made the playing field very level in, in some regards so that, that smaller independent bands can, you know, if you put the work in and you educate yourself, you can sort of have a fighting yeah, I mean, chance I mean, I at, at speaking through it all, you know, or being heard. Like SoundCloud. And because of my SoundCloud numbers, I got on the ground floor of this anchor podcasting. They saw my numbers on SoundCloud. They brought me in. And, you know, and I do this because I yeah. get picked to, to do it. And so when streaming got me into this whole other venue that got me into, like, influence marketing and I had to make more money for my influence marketing campaigns I do with this other company. And it all started because I was on SoundCloud. And I found other sources of income that aren't exactly my music, but they're other things. Yeah. And so it gets you into different places and then you can use those things to kind of push your what your passion is and you're able to still survive. Where the old school model was, you get signed, you do three albums. If they don't make it, you get dropped. <laughs> now I can keep on kind of going for how, however long as I want. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think overall, it's, it's positive. There's, it's not without like, an absence of frustration. But I'm sure like, if we were, if we were having this conversation oh, yeah. 20 years ago, would I you know, really musicians love to complain, <laughs> right? Pastimes. Sure, we'd have some fucking yeah, problems yeah. with the, the industry as it was back then right but a problem before so is that it's it just adapt and move on like you're not company, we get you like, know you know tied to the company's store and you end up owing the record company a million dollars because they gave you a million dollar advance and you only made like what seven hundred thousand and they gave you a million a million right. three now you're like now you're not going to get paid again yeah <laughs> You well, know, fake your death. That's our that's our plan B. Blow it on whatever they blew it on, and then they find out they're in the hole, and they got they got to give the an album to the record label for nothing, you know, and they only made money from touring, which is typical same same issue we still have, um, but you know they thought they had money and then they didn't. <laughs> um, And the, the the other advantage, sorry, the other advantage to streaming is it has created a, a very significant source of revenue to major and indie labels. So there is a period of time, sort of between Napster and streaming being 
sort of the mainstay where bands weren't getting signed, but now that the record labels have, you know, a a new source of income, bands are getting signed again, which I mean, but that's, that's not, that's not anything new. You kind of know it when you go in to this whole thing, right? You're probably not going to come out on top. But I don't think any one of the three of us ever started doing this thinking we could make a million dollars. Yeah. We do it because we have to do it. We do it because it's like a scratch that needs to be itched. You're going to do it whether you made money or not. It's kind of like your own personal way of exercising whatever, you know, feelings and passions demons whatever that you have that i I find when i talk to a lot of singer songwriters and musicians they're like well i have to do it because it's like it's the stuff is inside me and i gotta get it out well of course of course we'll keep going and you know times right now they're so uncertain and we're not going to stop and everything we do is you know like um reactive and and also we're being proactive to what we could do in the future we're not going to stop and this isn't hindering us in any way in some ways it's actually really fueling us and um even as individuals i mean i know we can all say we're not in this momentarily like even if this band in you know 10 years breaks up we're all still going to continue to do music so i think it's all relative to the situation, especially with the industry. And we're just going to keep going as we were. And we just kind of have to play day to day. That's all you can really do. um, When I started, everybody I started with somehow thought they were going to be Jimmy Page or they're going to be Mitch Mitchell. Or they thought they were just, and if they didn't hit that by a certain date, they just said, forget it. I'm not playing anymore. So like everybody I I grew up with that were musicians that I played with, they all stopped. And I was like one of the only ones that kept on going. Because <laughs> they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were just doing it for the wrong reasons. That's why. I wish I sometimes those days I wish I could stop, to be honest. There's there's I mean, you're a musician, you like there's so many peaks and valleys emotionally and personally trying to navigate this industry, but I sort of came to terms with it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like, I can't. That's what's very have to play. Yeah. If I don't it's play, it feels, it feels like I'm holding in a... They never talk like the way my old bandmates did back in like 82 or 79. They, you know, they were all thinking, you know, that somehow they, that was the measure. That you had to get the CBGBs. You had to go and play at the Whiskey or Go-Go. You had to, get, had to make it. If you didn't make it, you're done. You're, I'm not doing it anymore. And uh... <laughs> well, make yeah, yeah. making it like making it is 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 what you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, even like bands that you saw on MTV in high rotation, you know, I'm sure in <laughs> yeah. like Los Angeles, there's a yeah, high school yeah. janitor yeah. somewhere that used to be in dog with all the like, <laughs> hair bands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like the yeah, girl who cut my hair was the, the drummer in Vixen. I remember that. <laughs> you know, I, I Keith think loves I Keith loves Vixen. <laughs> yeah, you have an absolute. That's the thing. It's like every new schedule. Thought they were going to be New Order. You know, Duran Duran, New Order are still here, and they're not. You know. <laughs> 
I, mean, I think there's an element to it when you start getting into music. Like there's definitely some of that lifestyle that looks appealing, but once you kind of fight your way through the trenches of this business, if that's what you're looking for, and that's what, like, I mean, there's, yeah, there's times where you, you get treated yeah, well hard. and everything yeah, is like, comfortable, but like the most of the time you're cramped in a, you're cramped oh, yeah. in a van yeah, and like no one's really slept well. You've shared like, you're a traveling you're, circus. You're traveling, yeah. like, sharing beds and like, like not even a, like a motel, not even a motel six, like a motel four and a half. Those guys, right. They're, they're still playing, right. They're still you know, the four tops and the incarnations and the temptations, all the Motown stacks bands, you know, all those professional studio musicians to like, you know, like the funk brother type level people, you know, they never really got good deals. They all did really amazing work. Yeah. They all got ripped off. You know, they all still have to play every day. And all, all the, mo- the mo- even But you know, that's yeah, the, no their passion was like, they're great musicians. They're going to keep on playing. They never really got their due, um, but they still do it. Can they love it? You know, kind of, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think Van Halen sold a million yeah, copies on Van Halen it's, One it's and was in debt a million dollars by the end of it. You know, you live like a rock star, you go down like a rock star, you know, because you, you pay for the limos, you pay for the hotels, your trash, you know, you kind of access the access kind of thing isn't sustainable. But <laughs> I well thank god thank god that era of music is over because even though there's some like great music that came out that whole attitude is fucking disgusting so good riddance it's given us a bad name until this day like honestly very 12 feet under not six like the tights it's now it's you have to be in this for the craft and just the satisfaction of playing and whatever so guys, accolades um, or rewards come your way or just a bonus. Yeah, just enjoy it. Just like a U.S. band or did you go outside the U.S. and play like the festival circuit outside of the U.S.? We, no, we've only, we've only, we've been really fortunate as a, a Canadian band to do a lot of stuff down in the States and most of our festival mm-hmm. appearances um have been in the states so we we really up like pre pre all this craziness we were really focusing um on on the u.s markets but still like you know we we play toronto like once or twice a year we always do a hometown show and there's certain promoters and markets that we have a really good relationship with that we're always eager um, like, for example, a lot of people wouldn't mm-hmm. ever think of it, but Windsor, which is the Canadian town across well, from Detroit, <laughs> has a fucking unbelievable scene. And oh, oh my God, man, they've got yeah. some of the best venues. And some great bands, too. And like some, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just like, if we can play Windsor, like, we're like, we're fucking stoked on our way there. And like, the, the days leading up to it, like, there's so many amazing places in Canada to play, but I mean, if you're just looking in terms of numbers going down to this, because Canada's there's, it's very spread out. Yeah, you got big so for Canada drive. takes kind like you're doing like, like 10, Midwest 12 hour drive far. days. Yeah, just 
it's yeah. like the Midwest, but it's the entire country. <laughs> so it's um the exception of some of the East, like you got. Yeah. yeah. So it was really enticing to us as a band to you know be able to do like yeah. a five show yeah. run, but only have two and a half, three hour drive days. You know, I've yeah, talked to some people who told me yeah. they've done three week There's tours no of California exclusively. I've been trying to get to Europe in Asia and this whole thing kind of blew up <laughs> just when I'm like, Oh, I can go try to do Tokyo and Seoul and, 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 and do Australia and stuff like that. And then now you can't really do it. So, that, but I'm actually, you know, I, my booking agency is actually, that's what they do. They do like tours in Europe and Asia. Um, I, 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 I'm still working the deal. Who, 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 so who what agency are you with? But I am, um, they, right now they're trying to get me on some online stuff and we're still in negotiating so I can't say who they are but um, we, we will we announce it on all of our media once we fully do it man I totally but, get it yeah we were supposed to do it like like in those venues but you know what happened Every, like the same thing everybody's been talking about but um, yeah is this, so have you guys ever thought about doing Europe or Asia if you if there was a market for it Uh, Europe, particularly Germany, Germany. seem to be getting a lot of uh, streams and whatnot, which is another thing that's kind of nice with the streaming age is you can start to see where people are, are listening to your music. Yeah, just just based on the metrics of our streaming really and our engage, yeah. our social media engagement, Germany seems to be... And it's... it's, it's kind of makes sense. Yeah, like, and like I toured, I toured Germany with another project I was in, and... I got to say, like, they're single-handedly flying the flag for rock and roll across Europe. I was fortunate enough to to sort of play across Europe. And, man, the dude, Austria and Germany, those were the best gigs. Everyone is just so into it, so respectful. There's no fights. No one's getting, like, yeah, too sloppy drunk. They're just really – you really get the feeling they're, they're there for, like, the, the right craft. reason. So, yeah. I think yeah. – you know, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they – yeah, they know a lot. A lot of the, das good. By the das you know, good. They, know, they know the old Motown yeah. session musicians. They know their names. You know, they know the jazz musicians, like in the band Sunra. They know everybody in the band. They know their names. So yeah. they're like, these yeah. guys really, they, they know their shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I remember, like, when I toured Germany, I was like, maybe the fifth or sixth drummer of the band that I was touring with. Yeah. And people like, and it was my first European tour with them and people knew my name. They're like, they're really and like, yeah. So that, I mean, in terms of hot lips, that that's is really like our immediate goal is to try to get over there band or band as quickly as we can. Craft work and Brian, Eno and what Bowie did. Yeah. All that great you know, music. They totally appreciate that. Ron, so they, they're into like what well, they love. Fucking oh, yeah. yeah. right. really when you guys are in that kind of frame, mind frame. So um, I think that would be cool. So you guys. Yeah, it's a target for us. Germany, UK. It's definitely in our wheelhouse. I spent two years. Hopefully, I mean. And Japan. If any uh, Japanese Japan. promoters are listening yes. to this. Please. Yes. There's so many, there's so many clubs. Oh, my God. There's so many clubs. And they, they had so Get many bands. Play? 
it's just kind of crazy. They had bands that could emulate like like Chick Corea. They had bands, but they did it in their own way, right? They could play. Yeah, they could do everything. I mean, you can go to a club in Shibuya. You could or find they rock like their a riot rockabilly band. scene. You could find a, a band playing the Coltrane. You could find a band playing the Clash. Guys doing Motown. Guys doing Guns N' Roses. Yeah, then they have their own bands, like you know, Asian Kung Fu Generation, and some of their own yeah, bands are really metal scene, you know, kick ass, like Japanese rock, not J pop, but like Jap- <laughs> J rock or J punk. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah, like, they're yeah, like the insane so musicians. Like, sometimes they don't even know what like they're saying, the but it's so perfect. Polite. Everybody, sometimes you don't know if they like it because they they're not they sometimes they didn't really be emotional. Uh, you know, and the feedback sometimes from a Japanese mm-hmm. audience is not the kind of feedback you get like in Detroit or something. It's like they're very polite, maybe too polite. And he's like, I, sometimes you don't know you're getting that they dig you <laughs> until you're done. And it's like, okay, I'm not really getting a lot of feedback. Uh, so I just got to kind of feel it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe they're, they're ahead of the curve. Like they don't mosh or anything. Now they, they can keep socially thing. distant like, from one another, right? It's smart. They, they don't, it's not that they don't like you. Because we're not going to do that shit. Like an American audience. Yeah. <laughs> it's not jumping and screaming <laughs> as much. Um, yeah, so this has been great. I love talking to you guys. Um, the, the the show, that we have a timer on the show eventually will cut me off. Um, if we hit a certain time, we're getting close to that by like five minutes. But it's great to have you guys on. And and um, if you guys have a, when your new project is ready, yeah, thank, thank you for so reaching out. This is so when your next project's ready and you want to talk about it uh, for you know if you're putting new material out this year, we could come on and talk about it. And uh, your open invitation for any time you have a new project you want to relay to your fans. Yeah, man. Monday, June 1st, we're dropping our new video um, for Cry Wolf across like all the streaming platforms. And then we're, we're, we're like I said, uh, studio has just opened up in Toronto. Like you're able to go and socially distant record. So we're, we booked some time for early July and, and we were sort of talking before this today and we're looking to have um, maybe even a five song EP, four or five song EP out by September well, with um, some for September when that tour dates rescheduled uh, in, in the, the U.S. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely push it out. This is going to go out. Dude, one hundred percent. One Spotify podcast and Apple podcast, along with a, we're on eleven podcast platforms worldwide, and so we'll send you the link to the major three ones: Anchor, Anchor. Spotify and Apple, and then it will be on other ones like Radio Public and Overcast and all these other ones uh, with, with an hour. Dude, that's amazing. Awesome. And yeah. Thanks so much for reaching out to our band. Like, it's, it's, well, it's, keep, uh, it's so flattering uh, that anyone wants to yeah, talk to aware, us about what we're doing. So thank you so much. Out, you know, in, in, in the world. And I think every band that's out there that's doing great work needs to get attention and I don't think they should have to pay for it. You know, I like to do, you know, give people a platform and that's what this is all about. So let everybody know that we're out here. You know, if you know other bands that need attention, that are in your, um, you're in your, you know, yeah, yeah.
Cool. Thank you very much. We know a handful for sure. We'll send. Yeah. And let's touch, dude. Let's stay in touch. This has been great. Download everything you can. You too, man. Take care. Take care. Make sure you buy their merch and go see their shows when they're back on the road. Thank you very much, Hot Lips. All right.